Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontybrack. Today in the house, the master of creativity. We're going to figure that out, what that means in a second. Stephen Kowalski. Stephen, welcome. He's an organization development consultant and the author of a fantastic book, Creative Together, Sparking Innovation in the New World of Work. He's more than 25 years of experience facilitating the creativity of scientists, engineers, business leaders, and professionals across industries to blaze new trails, catalyze creative potential, and deliver, yeah, real-world innovation. He holds a PhD in adult learning and organizational creativity from UCLA, and he works for biopharma giant and pioneer Genentech. At Genentech, Stephen focuses on strategy execution and organizational transformation for Roche's global product development organization. He's led key HR initiatives, including the creation of Genentech's Employee Career Center, Work and Career Flexibility Philosophy, and the development of the Roche Leadership Commitments and Competency Model. Today, we're going to talk all things under the sun of not just his book, but creativity in general. Stephen, welcome to the show. I've got a first question for you. You suggest in the book that simply demanding or indeed kind of encouraging innovation and collaboration doesn't cut it in today's day and age in the organization. So if innovation doesn't just happen, you say that innovation actually is the result. It's the outcome of creativity. What does that new kind of language or computation mean to me, the layman? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Dan, great to be here with you today. Thanks for having me on. And uh, such a great question to open up. Uh, we hear innovation everywhere. Uh, leaders, managers, everyone's calling for innovation across all industries. And as you say, innovation is actually a type of creative result. So when we're asking for innovation, we're actually asking for creativity. And so what, what people don't realize is uh, all kinds of conditions can either support or inhibit me bringing my creativity forward. And if, if I'm focused on innovation, what that means is I'm after new value. And that new value, uh, uh, you know, people think of innovation as like the idea or the, the discovery, but actually innovation, new value can come at all on all types of work and in all domains. So if I'm changing the light bulbs, I can innovate. If I'm looking for efficiencies or cost savings, I can innovate. If I'm coming up with new products and services, I can innovate. Innovation is not relegated to one part of the business or to one type of work. So what we're after is we're after activating people's creativity, no matter what kind of job they're doing, uh, no matter how they're contributing to the value of the business. Isn't that interesting? Because, I mean, I have been around the block, I've been around the sun a few times. And so in my work in big companies, very large high tech and telecom companies and my consulting work for other very large companies, I get the sense at times that team members seem to think that creativity is over in the marketing department or the product development department. Yes. And it's like, oh yeah, the, the creative types, they're over there. How do we instill a sense in the organization that is, Stephen, that creativity is actually all of our responsibility, that it's not just the people in mar marketing or product management? Well, the first step is really to shift out of the old story of what creativity is and into the new story. In the old story, most of us actually walk around in that old story. We believe that creativity is an ability. Some people have it. Some have it more than others. 
Some don't have it. That's the old story. Creativity is actually not an ability normally distributed across the population. It's a potential that we all have and it comes out in response to the circumstances. So if I want to activate, if I want innovation as an outcome and I wanna activate people's creativity towards that outcome, what I need to know is that uh, people's creativity is always there and I need to know what gets it going. What gets it going is a strong, clear and meaningful purpose. And then when I have that purpose, when we have that shared purpose, hopefully, what we need to do is we need to dance between possibilities and constraints. And it's in that dance between possibilities, constraints, and that purpose we're holding that creativity comes forward. So we all have, a, have this potential. It requires a purpose. And then we need to, we need to engage in this dance. And, and what I find is people really misunderstand what creativity is and what gets it going, what activates it. Okay, so before we get into that, you, you've touched on one of the areas I wanted to discuss with you, and that was the correlation or perhaps the relationship or alignment between creativity and purpose. Selfishly, you know, one of the books I, I wrote is called The Purpose Effect, Building Meaning in Your Role, uh, Your Life, and Your Organization. And so when I got to that point in the book, I'm like, yes, I'm screaming out loud that you have an alignment factor that really uh, stands out for me. So tell us or the audience how you see that alignment of one's purpose or the purpose of dot, dot, dot with creativity. Yeah, so in, in Creative Together, I talk about the role of purpose as essential. It's really the core thing that moves me forward into the circumstances that might activate my creativity. Without the purpose, there's no reason to change the status quo. So when I say purpose, I'm talking about anything from a small p, a purpose, you know, why my creativity should show up today, why the status quo isn't good enough, why changing the light bulbs or doing my business, doing the accounting or using the legacy uh, systems isn't working any longer. Um, that 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 could be a purpose, you know, then we could talk about people's life purpose, you know, maybe with a capital P. But when I say purpose, I mean, you know, all of these reasons why creativity should show up, why the status quo isn't good enough. And what's really fascinating is, weak purposes or purposes that are not that meaningful to me don't generate less creativity. They actually just generate circumstances where my creativity can get overrun by obligations and other priorities and urgent matters and fires that I have to put out, right? So if the purpose isn't strong enough, the, the creative activation just won't sustain. And I think this is something for leaders and managers to really understand the purpose has to be articulated in a way that it's meaningful for folks, that it actually has creative tension in it. Like, uh, I, I love this purpose that one of the organizations I work with used, uh, reduce the cost of delivery of services while increasing customer satisfaction. That's you can kind good. of feel, you can feel the, 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 the creative tension in there. And so if the purpose doesn't have some kind of creative tension, some reason why, what, wow, we can't just do that by doing the same thing over and over again. We have to do something different. That'll give rise, that purpose will give rise to, pe to people's creativity. Then we have to focus it. So aligned actually to this thread, in my opinion, and maybe not yours, we'll find out in a second. There's, there was a movement, I guess there's still a movement, right? Towards conscious capitalism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've actually used the word conscious and put it in front of creativity to 
eloquently denote that we should be seeking out conscious creativity. So is there an alignment? Well, first of all, what's conscious creativity? And then is there an alignment between your point about purpose and creativity? Yes. So when I talk about conscious creativity, I'm talking about creativity with intention and with attention. And I think that it's a slightly different use of the word conscious capitalism uh, tends to have something to do with using capitalism in certain ways or holding certain principles uh, about sustainability and the earth being stewards of the earth and so forth in our business, right? Uh, when I use conscious creativity, what I'm talking about is being proactively, being proactive with intention. I'm, I'm my, this is a great arena for my creativity to show up. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to bring intention to this. And so conscious creativity is about choice. It's about being proactive. And it's about self-awareness while we are creating together to see, hey, how could we create together more effectively? I really appreciate that intention, attention point. I think it's it's provocative, but it's also very insightful toward you know our analysis of the relationship between being consciously creative and purpose and the alignment between sorry purpose and creativity. I love that. Uh, well done. Now, okay, so. But to get there, I would argue you've also made the point in the book that uh, there's one thing to be creative or to know that you're creative, I, I should say. And then there's another to trust it and to trust your own creativity. So you bring up quite elegantly in the book, you know, the, the, the moments of trust and the pattern of trust and the behavior of trust ultimately of oneself. So I'm asking you the question, Stephen. So what's the difference? How can we trust ourselves to create in terms of if you know you're creative or you have to trust yourself to be creative? Like there seems to be almost a dichotomy there that you're expressing. Mm. Well, when we claim it. Okay, so so say I've been in the old story all my life and I thought, hey, I'm, I'm kind of like moderately creative. I'm not as creative as Sally. I'm not as creative as Nisha. Uh, but I'm somewhere in the middle and, and, you know, so don't, don't expect too much creativity from me. The guys over there in the marketing department and the gals over there in, in the, you know, in the science areas are the ones who are creative, right? So if I'm walking around with that story, the very first thing I have to do is I have to own and claim my creative potential. That's, that's first. And then, uh, then once I do that, I can actually start to pay attention to how my creativity shows up at work in my life. And I can start to consciously improve the way that I create together. And so in, in Creative Together, the first adventure is that journey to wake up and to really understand that creativity is a potential. And what are the likely tests I'm gonna face? What are the superpowers I have at my disposal to amplify my creativity? When I do that inner work, then I'm prepared to actually explore how I can create together more effectively with others. And that's the second adventure in creative together. So there's Stephen, obviously there's Van Gogh creative, there's Beyonce creative, and then there's, you know, kind of organizational Genentech AT&T creative. So tell me a bit about, I suppose, like, can we become artists? Can we become musicians metaphorically with our creativity inside organizations? Or is there some relationship that we need to inculcate from a culture perspective so that creativity can be unleashed in each of, in each of us? Sorry. Hmm. 
Well, creativity doesn't care where you apply it. <laughs> I like that. So we don't have to try to be anything that that is not part of our unique uh, life experience and talents and so forth, right? We don't have to, we can use arts as a metaphor, right, for, for our work. But, you know, if I'm in the accounting department or the finance department, or if I'm in IT, or if I'm in facilities, or if I'm in, uh, you know, the science side of things or, or, or the development of new services, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. My creativity doesn't care where I apply it. And that's, I think, a core shift for people to realize I'm creative wherever I am, depending on whether the circumstances are asking for that creativity. So the thing about artists, sometimes why we get confused is that artists actually are challenging themselves to bring their creativity forward. They've set a purpose to express some vision or something in form, whether that's in music or in art, you know, that the Van Gogh, the Beyonce, they've actually set a, a, a purpose for themselves that comes from within and their creativity is showing up into that purpose day after day after day. Many of us are walking around doing sort of routine things and we're disconnected from the places creativity might show up in our lives. And so we don't even notice when it does, or we discount it, or we say, mm, you know, that's not the same creativity as Beyonce or Van Gogh or anything like that. But the fact is creativity is creativity. The results of that creativity are different but it's the same creative potential just being expressed by different people with different perspectives, life experiences, and talents. I love how you've brought back the alignment to purpose as well. And just because celebrity artists like a Van Gogh or Beyonce, we might all know as household names, you've made the point, well, they're, they're creative because they're coming at it from a point of purpose. It just so happens that they've elevated their game to a point of commercial well, I guess Van Gogh didn't until he passed away, but Beyonce was the other extreme, right? Where we all know, and she's still living with us. Okay. One of the things I haven't seen yet in books, except when I passed by yours, when it comes to creativity, are creativity styles, and I might even call them personas. And so the personas that you've identified in the book are the soloist, the rebel, the entrepreneur, and the collaborator. So what I'm hoping you could do is just give us a little drive-by understanding of each of those four styles or personas. And then I have a follow-up question after we figured out what they are. Sure. So the four styles um, emerged out of my doctoral research at UCLA. And when I saw folks actually creating out in the world, in this case, it was teachers in, uh, in very bureaucratic school systems. Uh, that was the initial uh, group that I studied. Uh, what I noticed was some people like to create within their sphere of, of control. Like a, imagine a teacher in a classroom, right? What I do in that classroom is within my control. So, and, and I can do it pretty much on my own and maybe I can share what I've done with other teachers. So the soloist tends to like to create alone and share the products of creation after they're somewhere close to done and they see the success uh, and tends to think the ideas and the products of my creativity are mine. So there's an ownership piece. Actually, with the rebel and the entrepreneur, there's also a pretty strong ownership component. Mm. And this is one of the points that I make in the book. I'll, I'll get to a little bit later. The rebel 
is motivated by what's unjust, what's not in alignment, what's not oh, right. Goodness. And so uh, the rebel the rebel might be, you know, creating into um, their classroom if they're a teacher or the school system or, you know, in interactions between the, 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 um, the teachers, their peers. So the, the, the arena is more open with the rebel but but the motivating driving force is what's unjust, what's not right, what's out of alignment. You know, leadership is saying one thing, but their actions show another. That will stimulate a rebel's creativity. The entrepreneur is really looking across the system and looking for new opportunities to bring new value into more uh, more at the systems level, not just like a classroom. If we continue with the teaching example, but the school district the interrelationship between the community and the school and so forth. So the entrepreneur is thinking a little bit more into the system and looking at that way. Sometimes the entrepreneur can also get stuck on their vision, their ideas, and want it to go their own way. So the difference between the, the three that I've described and the collaborator is the collaborator doesn't think of ideas as mine. The collaborator is part of a shared experience of co-creation. And so ideas can come from anywhere. They can evolve and change without me losing interest as long as I'm still connected to that shared purpose. Um, and I'm much more fluid in how I engage with others. So one of the points I make in Creative Together is in this new world of work, we all need to bring forward the collaborator style a little bit more to help us create more effectively with others. So the follow-up I had, which I agree, by the way, on the collaborator point, the follow-up question is, Stephen, the makeup of the teams, are you suggesting or do you suggest perhaps that we ought to be helping our team members see, A, what their dominant style, their creativity style is, B, not only that, but then follow up with ways in which that they ought to be developing the skills to see how they might increase their abilities in the other three styles and then see it's a long question do you think that it should teams should be made up of the personalities or those styles or does everybody have it and we just need to be better cognizantly aware of when we need what for certain situations i think your last point is is great when we need what i mean we we're we're all going to come with with our different styles right these are styles that develop habits and strategies that develop as we engage with the with the world and we're we're socialized by the world right so um and there as with any styles or or patterns or anything archetypes whatever there's positives and there's negatives there's trade-offs for each style so the point is not to not to necessarily try to make sure you have every style on a team uh, but it's great to know what our styles are you know i was on a team of of all soloists and it's really hard to co-create on the team, <laughs> you know, because co-creation is not just, uh, you know, sharing what we're each doing so that we don't step on each other's toes or, or you know, you can give me some ideas for my space and I'll give you some ideas for your space, but we're all doing our different thing, right? That's not co-creation. Co-creation is when we're jointly producing a result that couldn't be produced otherwise, mm -hmm. right? And so in co-creation, there's letting go they're stepping forward. There's uh, helping to shape things, but also uh, letting others shape me. Uh, there's a dance between me and we. So co-creation is actually difficult and challenging in today's world. 
And, and I talk in Creative Together about all the things that can get in the way. Uh, but becoming more of uh, more aware, more conscious of how my style is influencing um, how I'm contributing, that's the goal. You make a really good point in the book. I mean, throughout you're talking about both like self-creation and self-creativity, but also then you you segue into co-creation as you've just done, you know, in our in our interview today. So how does self-creativity or and co-creativity or co-creation when we come up against friction is my mm -hmm. question. What are what are the strategies or how do we untangle when friction is occurring in that I'm a soloist and I, you know, or I'm a rebel, right? And I'm like, aha, look, look what I've created. Yet the the outcome actually requires co-creation because there's a consensus or there's some sort of decision making even through that co-creation opportunity so that we can move forward as opposed to I or me moving forward with the idea. Yeah, let's see if I can make it really tangible. Say I'm on a, a team of people, cr a cross-functional team. In the life sciences business, I might might have team members from sort of our digital products, health healthcare products team. I might have some folks who are in our global patient partnerships team. I might have people from our diagnostics division. I might have people from our pharmaceutical division. Uh, you know, and we're all looking at say, you know, what could an integrated healthcare solution look like in a certain therapeutic area? The everyone on that team is creative in their own right. They're bringing their creativity, they're bringing their creative style to that team. And we're not gonna be able to create something together unless I know how my creativity either inhibits the team process or is going to enhance the team process. So like one, one of the great, and, and more and more, I think we're working in these cross-functional teams. It's easier when I'm working on a team inside of my own department. But when I'm working on a team that's truly cross-functional and we're doing something that hasn't been done before, like pioneering, for example, an integrated healthcare solution, <laughs> then, then we have to engage in differently then we might. Uh, and so that's the, that's where the, the, my creativity is critical to the outcomes of the team. And the team has kind of a collective um, ethos that has to be served in order to bring forward uh, the result that we're after. Amazing. All right. I have two final questions, then we'll find out more about where to find out more about you. Stephen, can, can we be overly creative? Like, can we get stuck in a creativity wheel where we never make a decision and we are over collaborating indeed? A couple of things come to mind when you ask that. First of all, uh, people say a culture of innovation. In a culture of innovation, in a, in a robust culture of innovation that's consciously designed, there's an innovation funnel and there are gates to pass through for investment. And there's clear criteria about why an organization would invest in something. So people say, oh, you know, creativity, a thousand flowers blooming, it's unfocused. You actually want a thousand flowers blooming at the early stages of that funnel, right? But then that mechanism to winnow down, to converge, to pick, and you know, and, and you know, which of these are going to be desirable, feasible, and viable, right? There has to be that mechanism too. So uh 
I, I want to sort of bust this myth about a thousand flowers blooming because we want a thousand flowers blooming, but we also want it focused. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I don't see a lot of leaders and managers doing is saying, we are, we want your creativity and we want it every day. And we want it in this arena. For example, that thing I shared earlier, we want it focused on delivering, um, you know, reducing the cost of our services and we want to focus on increasing customer satisfaction at the same time, right? That's a focusing mechanism. And then we can take those thousand flowers blooming and we can actually shape them into an innovation strategy and innovation pipeline, right? So I, I think it's it's really important for these mechanisms to be there. Um, and then the all that creativity, if we were to say like, is it too much? Um, it's too much when it's not focused and it's too much when there's no mechanism for gaining it and 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 making smart investment decisions. I love it. Great. Creative Together comes with a gazillion different opportunities for you to rethink your creativity, how to rethink creativity as a leader. Is there, uh, as a final question, do you have sort of like a top three, something like that, tips for leaders to contemplate how they might get the creativity uh, gene, if you will, flowing within their team, not necessarily for themselves. So I'm thinking more about leaders wanting to inculcate that level of creativity for the team. Sure. Uh, First thing is, is purpose, as we discussed. It does the purpose have the creative tension? Does it have the call for something different than the status quo? Or is it is the purpose about delivering, you know, what we're delivering today uh, in the way we're delivering it today? Right. So first of all, first thing I say, purpose, critical. Second is focus. And part of that purpose should focus people's creativity, as I was just mentioning. And the other thing that I notice a lot is. Uh, we all walk around with our own tolerance for ambiguity. And most of the time with the leaders I work with, leaders are not aware of how their own tolerance for ambiguity is influencing and casting a shadow and maybe inhibiting the creativity of the team. So if I'm a leader and I like certainty and I'm after uh, predictability and control and scale a bit, you know, all, all of these things that bureaucracy can deliver, right? If if I'm after those things, and maybe I have a slightly autocratic style on top of it, right? My own tolerance for ambiguity, for how much unknown I can tolerate, uh, will ding the creativity of the team. So purpose, focus, watch out for that tolerance of ambiguity. Those are maybe my top three for today. Ask me tomorrow, I might have some other top three. Well, I love it. Well, the book again, of course, Creative Together, Dr. Stephen Kowalski, fantastic time uh, spent with you today with me. Thank you. Where can we find out more about you, the book, etc.? Sure. Um, easiest place to go is uh, stephenkowalski.com. You can order the book uh, directly there. There's links to uh, different online retailers. Of course, your favorite online retailer will do as well. All sorts of other resources. There, uh, there's some QR codes in the book. Those resources are just on my website. Um, if you're reading the book, you will get a direct link to them. But otherwise, they're there. There's downloads of other materials. I'm also on LinkedIn, so you can find me in a number of places. And I look forward to to talking further with with folks as they dig into creative together. I love it, and I must say, having gone through the book, yeah, you have QR codes 
in a lot of different places and just your phone takes it right there. And I sent it off to my laptop, my, my Mac, and it was just some wonderful compendium extra materials. So thank you as a fellow author showing the way for others to see that, you know, it's not just the book, there's more to it. And thank you. It's amazing. Stephen, this is fantastic. I really, I learned a lot from you, the book itself, and uh, made me rethink a few things in my own leadership of self when it comes to my creativity. So with that, Thank you. I hope to have you back uh, again here on the show. Folks, thanks for tuning in. Dr. Stephen Kowalski, author of Creative Together. You've been watching another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontefract. Stay tuned for the next episode whenever that's happening. All right, Stephen, thanks again. Thank you. Take care. Bye.